just come before you, Lord. We just, uh, you are rich in love and slow to anger, Lord. And as we look at uh, your scriptures this morning, uh, Lord, we see that. And we see your work in our lives uh, throughout, throughout history, Lord. And we just come before you this morning. We just give you everything, give you all the glory. And we just thank you for being with us and uh, allowing us to worship you this morning. In your name, amen. You are more, you are more than my world. 
morning. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. We're thankful that you're with us. If you have a Bible, get to the book of Leviticus, third book in your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Uh, we'll be in there uh, this morning as we finish up our, get near the end of our series, God Delivers. And as you're getting there, I want to invite Holly McLean up to share with you about uh, VBS. It's coming up this summer. Preparations are already in, are happening. So here's Holly to tell you more. Hello. Well, it is that time of year again, or, well, it is in February for our church, at least. Um, I am not going to reveal the theme yet. You're going to have to wait a week still to find out. Um, I know, right? Sorry. But it builds anticipation. So we are having a kickoff meeting, not tomorrow, but the following Monday, the evening of the 22nd at Mika's. It's going to be from 630 to 8. Drop in anytime. It's not... You don't have to show up for the whole time. You can just be there for a little bit or the whole thing. Um, I will have, there'll be a little bit of refreshments there. So if you're thirsty, then definitely come and let's look at the books together and see if there's a role that you want to play or something that you want to do. Um, if you have an idea of what you might like to do already, feel free to contact me or just uh, come to look through the literature and see if your heart is leading you into a different role this year. I'm very excited this year. We're using a really great curriculum, and um, I hope to see you next Monday. All right, thanks. Thanks, Holly. So VBS is a, is a great time for us to reach out into our community, to reach that next generation. So uh, be involved in the early stages. Don't wait till late May, early June to start raising your hands, but uh, do that now, all right? Um, big hearty amen. We're Baptist this morning. Um, as you, uh, before we get into the message, I want to share with you some, some leadership um, uh, so you can be aware of some leadership things, eldership things, so you can be praying, be alongside us in prayer. Recently, Craig Swanson shared that he's going to step down from the elder team. Uh, he's been on the team for nearly four years, and we're really grateful for his faithfulness in that, uh, the wisdom and counsel, the time that he has invested in that role over the past nearly four years. And we're grateful for that. Uh, for the past couple months, Pastor Eric has has joined the team. He's been sitting in on meetings and those kind of things. And biblically speaking, uh, Eric is an elder. You see uh, pastor, elder, uh, overseer, shepherd, 
all those kinds of things under the same qualifications that First Timothy and Titus lay out for us. And so uh, up until this point, we've kind of said, well, Eric, you, you, you need to focus on your roles of student and worship and, and not be um, kind of obligated to serve as an elder as well. But in the past uh, yeah, a couple months, we've just really seen value in having him be a part of that team and, and having him, his counsel and his wisdom and his, his love for the Lord, his love for people, his love for his church, uh, having that be um, around that circle and be among us on our team. And so then in addition to Pastor Eric, we've asked Brad Lehman to join our elder team for the next uh, 12 months. Brad and his family, if you're aware, is um, uh, preparing to go on the mission field. will leave summer of 2017. And so uh, I've known Brad for nearly, it'll be 17 years this, this summer, uh, to see his way of life line up with what First Timothy and Titus call elders to do and be and their way of life. I see that connection as an elder team. We affirm that in him, and we um, are grateful for his willingness to, be, to serve over the next 12 months before they leave to serve, to, to care for his church, to care for, to help shepherd and oversee uh, Jesus, his church, because ultimately Jesus is the chief shepherd, not this guy, not this guy with two thumbs, that guy, uh, and that, um, that he is our chief shepherd that we follow and submit to and, and, and rest in. And so I would encourage you over the next couple of weeks to affirm that in, in Brad, to send him a text, an email, a phone call, uh, stop him sometime. I see this call on your life, and I'm, I'm grateful for that, and see, see where that, uh, affirm that in him. If there's disconnects in that, if you see, well, I, I'm looking at First Timothy and Titus, and I, see a, and I look at Brad's way of life, and I see a disconnect, I'd love for you to share that with one of the elders, Ron Peterson, Kevin Funk, Eric, or myself. Um, but over the next couple of weeks, to affirm that in him, pray for him, um, and to come alongside us as an elder team as well, uh, praying for us in this transition. I'm really excited about this next year. I really think God's going to do some great things, um, whether it's last week talking about a partnership with Eureka Bible or just in what ministry is happening with students and children, VBS, uh, worship, Sunday mornings. I just love what God is doing. I'm grateful that uh, for those who have served, those who are currently serving, and the unity that we have among the body of Christ for all these years. We've been at it for almost 13 years now. We're really grateful for that. Give God the glory for that. And so just join us in prayer in this transition. Affirm Brad in that role. And then probably the next couple weeks, uh, late February, early March, we'll take a moment in our service to pray over him and commission him as an elder. And uh, we're grateful for his willingness to serve. So affirm that in him. All right, now we go Leviticus throughout the... This is my first message in Leviticus, all right? Um, so go ahead and get there. If you've uh, ever gone through a chronological reading plan of the Bible, Leviticus is probably where you stalled out um, if you failed. Um, if you're like, oh, I just kind of got stuck in the mud, Leviticus might have been the place because you left the story and the narrative of, uh, of Genesis and Exodus and you seem to hit a book with just a full collection of laws. And so today and next week, don't check out on me. Um, I believe that these words of Leviticus are inspired and as breathed out by God as much as Ephesians or Romans or the Gospels or the Psalms or the Proverbs, these books that we kind of naturally run to. And, and so this is my first book or first message in the book of Leviticus. Um, next week will be my second. All right, we're going to be here for two weeks. But what I love about this three-year journey is that it's taking us to places we wouldn't naturally go on our own. We'd be like, all right, let's open to John. Let's open to Ephesians. But I love that the, the Lord is taking us into places we would naturally go because we see his word is active and alive as much in, in Leviticus as it is in the New Testament. There's things we can learn from. There's, there's things we can see how uh, God's people related to the Lord and, and things that correlate to us in our lives and how they point us to Christ. Last week we finished in the book of Exodus and that story ends with the tabernacle having been built this was the dwelling place for the lord and his presence it was portable and was at the center of the camp of the israelites and eric found this illustration for us and i i love it because it helps us see a picture of what it was like and you see the tabernacle was the very center of the israelites in a very uh, visual um, geographic sort of way because the lord wanted to say worship me alone don't worship other idols don't turn any other way Dwell in me, and I will dwell with you. Uh, there are 50 chapters in the Bible. 
that discussed the tabernacle. So this was a huge part of the Israelite people and their relationship with the Lord. It was magnificent in the way it was built. And if you were to correlate it to, um, uh, to modern um, costs, it would be well in excess of a million dollars. And in the story of the tabernacle, we see both the holiness of God and the nearness of God. We see that God sought to dwell with his people, but in dwelling with them, he wouldn't forsake his purity and his holiness. The book of Leviticus picks up where Exodus left off. Moses was the author of both books, and Leviticus is primarily a collection of laws. And so it's easy to see these laws as disconnected from the grace of God. But that just isn't the case. Because the law was given, to the, uh, given by God to the Israelites so they would know how to relate to God himself. God called them to be a kingdom of priests, to represent him to the world. So, so doesn't it make sense then that God would help them to know how to do that? Wouldn't it have been cruel for God to say, live your life devoted to me, be a kingdom of priests, worship me, but good luck in figuring out how to do that? Wouldn't that have been cruel for him to do that? But instead, we find in Leviticus and elsewhere, God giving the Israelites the law to guide them in how to live as a kingdom of priests, as a holy nation. And so this would help us to know, so this would help them to know know how to live in a right relationship with God, with one another, with the world around them. And keep in mind that these laws were given to them after they have been redeemed and rescued from slavery by God himself. So the rescue and the salvation happens first by the grace of God, and then God calls them to live for him. It's not the other way around. It's not where obedience leads to grace, but it is where grace leads to obedience. It's where grace is the start, and and it's it's grace because of that grace that, that then we desire to obey the Lord. So our obedience to the Lord and his word, it doesn't earn us his love, but it's It is because we are loved that our hearts are changed, that our desires, our motivations are changed so that we obey the Lord. Today and next week, we're looking at five offerings or sacrifices the Lord called the Israelites to make, all of which take place in the first six chapters of Leviticus. And today we're looking at the burnt and the grain and the peace offerings. Next week, we'll look at the sin and the guilt offerings. And here's the thing. None of this applies to the New Covenant Christian. Right? You and I are not obligated under the law of Moses to make these sacrifices. We don't have an altar out front where we're burning bowls. All right? We call that a barbecue nowadays. All right? We like eat around it and we go to restaurants. That, so it doesn't apply to us. So why are we even reading this? It's because all these Old Testament sacrifices and offerings remind us of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. One major theme in Leviticus is that Jesus is the far greater high priest who laid down his life for you and me. That his sacrifice was once and for all. And his sacrifice offers to a salvation by grace and through faith, not by works. They point to the reality that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice whose blood covers or atones for our sin. Atonement and sacrifice, these are two words that get talked about a lot in Leviticus. They get talked about, we'll talk about them today, we'll talk about them next week, or I'm sorry, yeah, next Sunday. And atonement communicates two ideas, ransoming or rescuing, and then uh, purifying. So through Christ and his atonement, we are rescued, we are ransomed, we are saved from God's judgment, from his wrath. And yet we are also purified from that sin. So the guilt of our sin as well as the stain of our sin is removed and it's the blood of Christ that does that. To help us get a better understanding of the word sacrifice and atonement. Watch this video. We all long for the world to be good. For people to live in peace, act with love and justice. But there's a problem. Something compels us humans to constantly wreak havoc and destruction instead, and we call this evil. And from the Bible's point of view, evil ruins things in at least two ways. There's a direct effect of our evil, like when someone steals from another person, they've created injustice. Hmm. Therefore, they owe something to make it right. But there's another indirect effect of evil because they've also ruined the environment of the relationship, creating a lack of trust. There's emotional damage. It's like vandalism, and they need to make that right, too. Now, many people believe, hey, God is good. 
he should be the one to just get rid of all the evil in the world. But let's be honest. I mean, the evil that I see everywhere out there, it's the same evil that's inside of me. We have all contributed and, and we keep doing it. And so this kind of puts us in a bind. If God's going to rid the world of evil, he'll have to get rid of us. And this is what's so remarkable about the story of the Bible. This God is so good that not only is he going to rid the world of evil, he's going to do it without destroying humanity. So how is he going to do that? Well, early in the story of the Bible, we're introduced to this practice of animal sacrifice, which I know it seems weird to us, but for the Israelites, it was a very powerful symbol of God's justice and of his grace. So remember, I'm a contributor to the evil that's in the world. I should be removed. But God is allowing this animal's life to be a substitute. It's symbolically dying in my place. And the biblical word for this is atonement, which means to cover over someone's death. But there's a second part to this ritual. Remember, evil also causes this relational vandalism. And in the Bible, this idea is described as polluting or defiling the land and making it unclean. So the priest would symbolically wash away the vandalism by sprinkling the animal's blood in different parts of the temple. So the animal's blood is cleaning things? Well, remember, this is a symbol, and it's a symbol that we're not used to. The blood represents life. And the sprinkling of the blood is this representation of how God is cleaning away these indirect consequences of evil in their community. In the Bible, this process is called purification. And so the temple and the land now become a clean space where God and his people can live together in peace. So this ritual makes things right between Israel and God. And more than that, the Israelites experience God's love and his grace through these symbols. And by being forgiven, ideally, this would compel them to become people of love and grace too. Right, that's the ideal, but it wasn't always happening. Right. So the prophet Isaiah, for example, he talks a lot about this. He opens his book by saying that the continual sacrifices of the Israelites had become meaningless because they were also allowing great evil in their midst, ignoring the poor and the oppressed. Even the Israelite kings were distorting justice. But Isaiah looked forward to a day when a new king from the line of David would come and deal with evil, but in a surprising way. The king would become a servant. And not just serve, but also suffer and die for the evil committed by his own people. And his life would be offered as a sacrifice. And this is the promise Jesus believed he was fulfilling. He's the king of Israel suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself used Isaiah's words when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom refers to a sacrifice of atonement. And so all over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice for us. It covered the debt that humans owe God for contributing to all of the evil and death in his world. But the New Testament authors also talk about Jesus' death as providing purification. And so we hear about Jesus' blood as a symbol of his life, having this ability to wash away the vandalism that evil has caused in us and around us so we can now live at peace with God. So that's the meaning behind Jesus' death. But there's more to the story. Yeah, the New Testament makes this powerful claim that Jesus' death was not final. He rose from the dead. And so he's the sacrifice who broke the power of death and evil, which means that he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. He is the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices were pointing all along. So because of Jesus, the early Christians stopped participating in the ritual of animal sacrifice. But they were given new rituals. There are two that Jesus taught his followers to perform. The first is called baptism. Just as Jesus died, so going into the water becomes this personal connection you now have to his death. And in coming out of the water, you, so to speak, come back to life with Jesus. So baptism is the sacred ritual that joins your story to Jesus' death and his resurrection. The second ritual is called the Lord's Supper, which is a reenactment of Jesus' last meal with his disciples, and he used bread and wine to portray his coming death as a sacrifice. And so now, followers of Jesus, they take the bread and the cup regularly to remember and to participate in the power of Jesus' death and in his life. So these rituals, they remind us of God's love and encourage us to live a life of love and grace. But they do more than that. 
They connect us to a new life source. The very power that brought Jesus back from the dead, it's the same power that can deal with the evil in our own lives and transform us into people who lead lives of love and peace. Our, our next uh, baptism. We all long for the world. March 13th, in a month. We'd love for you to go public with your faith. Some of you need to go public with your faith and share what God has done, what He is doing. And, and if that uh, is a next step for you, I'd encourage you to talk to Eric or myself, all right? But um, so Jesus is the perfect sacrifice that all these previous sacrifices are pointing to. So today and next week, we're looking at five offerings. Uh, sacrifices and keep in mind with each one we see we are reminded of the sacrifice of christ the sacrifice that we as christ followers have put our faith in the the sacrifice that atones for or covers our sin the sacrifice that not only saves us from judgment then but then purifies us from that sin and from the guilt and gives us a new heart and a new direction in this life and an eternal home so this morning we're looking at the burnt the grain and the peace offerings We'll read about each one in Leviticus. We'll see how they point us to Christ. And we'll also look at how these offerings remind us of attitudes and actions we are to reflect as Christ followers here in 2016. Because anytime we're talking about offering or sacrifice, we need to be reminded of Romans 12, 1 and 2, which says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So as New, New Testament Christians, we are trusting in the sacrifice of Christ. And through Jesus, he's given us a new heart, a, a new life, put a new spirit within us, and now we're charged in Romans 12 that we are to live our lives 24-7, every relationship, every sphere of life, every aspect of life as worship to him to present or offer ourselves as a living sacrifice for the Lord. So we don't do that to try to earn more of God's love or His favor, but we seek to live our lives for the Lord because the Lord laid down His life for us. He's changing, transforming, renewing our hearts and minds, and so as a result, that inward transformation leads to an outward actions, an outward life that looks different. There's an offering of sacrifice unto the Lord. Unto the Lord. So... While we are not obligated to make these offerings talked about in Leviticus, we are obligated to live out Romans 12.1. And so there are uh, things we can learn from Leviticus and how they point us to Christ. The first offering is the burnt offering. Leviticus 1, verses 3 through 9. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand... On the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for, his, for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces, and the sons of Aaron and the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire, and Aaron's sons, the priest, priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire on the altar, but its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So burnt offerings have been around since Genesis. We see Noah uh, gave a burnt offering after the flood. The idea of the, uh, the story of the ram provided at just the right time to save, to save Isaac's life was a burnt offering. The idea in Hebrew here is, up in smoke. So if I was a thinking man, we would have had chocolate today and we would have had barbecue today. Considering Valentine's and Leviticus, it would have been the perfect blend. We could have feasted on chocolate and barbecue. I'm not a thinking man though, but it's up in smoke is the Hebrew idea. And so in the courtyard of the tabernacle, right inside the entrance was this large bronze altar where the burnt offering would take place. And the idea of up in smoke means uh, besides the blood, the animal was completely burned up nothing left. The blood would be drained and then sprinkled on the altar, but the animal would be skinned, cut up, and then the rest of it would be burnt up. Three kinds of animals would be offered. Bulls, sheep, and uh, goats, and then pigeons and turtle doves. And those were by social class, so the, 
so the uh, wealthy could afford the bulls, the middle class were the uh, sheep and the goats, and then the poor could afford the uh, pigeons and the turtle doves. And so even there you see God's grace and God's heart for all people, that, that the gospel, that the good news, God's heart for people is not, a, is not based on social class. But you see his grace even providing a way for uh, all classes, including the poor, to worship him, to be in a right relationship with him. You see that in the announcement of, uh, of, uh, of Jesus' birth to the shepherds, the low of the low class. You see, Jesus, you see it in Jesus inviting people to follow him, uh, Matthew, the tax collector bottom of the barrel when it came to social ladder social class and so the gospel is for all people we see that even in leviticus here meat back then was this rare luxury no matter which class of person you're talking it was costly to burn an entire animal without giving any of it away and it was especially costly for an animal with no blemish so this wasn't like getting rid of the canned good in your, in your closet of, oh, the expiration date's next month. Yeah, you can have this one. It wasn't that, all right? This was, you spent hundreds of dollars on a cow, and you just burn it up. It cost you something. It wasn't just like giving a portion of your flock or a herd, just any portion, but this was an animal with no blemish. It was the most costly sacrifice, a costly offering. It was this pure offering for a pure God. It wasn't like bringing the leftovers to a holy God, but it was bringing the best. And worshipers brought animals of their own. The worshiper would lay his hand on the animal before it was sacrificed. And in that moment, the worshiper was depending upon the sacrifice and for that animal to take on their sin. The animal was a substitute. The sins would be laid upon that animal and then the animal would die. The worshiper was acknowledging it should have been me on that altar. I should have been the one that died. But the animal has been my substitute. And I'm trusting in the sacrifice of the animal. It's died in my place. And this offering was to remove the guilt of our sin. This offering turned God's wrath away from the worshiper. The offering represented the worshiper's complete dedication and surrender to God. It was acknowledging that God was holy. But by his grace, he's provided a way for his people to be in a right relationship with him. For, his, for sin to be forgiven. And verse 9 tells us that the offering was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The smell represented the substitute. It represented atonement. It represented that sin had been covered by grace. Even back with Noah's offering, we, we read, if you look at it, we read that the offering was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. This burnt offering was bringing the best, not the leftovers, to God in worship. Now, you and I could hear that. And we could say, okay, so I need to bring my best to God. And I would say, yes, we need to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, holding nothing back. For some of you who, who don't know Christ here yet, you're not confessing and trusting in Him. You could hear that, and no, I need to bring my best. And you could say, okay, I need to work really hard at this tomorrow. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to start doing this more. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean up my act and those kind of things you could, you could hear. But consider this. The best has already been brought for you. And it's not you. And it's not me. The best has already been brought for you. Jesus, the pure and spotless sacrifice, has been brought. A sacrifice that you and I could never come up with on our own. Even through our very best efforts, you and I could never obey our way into a right standing with God. Because God, in His grace, sent His Son to be the best to be the only acceptable sacrifice to a holy, just, and pure God. So this burnt offering was costly to the worshiper. And yet we see in the death of Christ the most incredible cost. The perfect one dying for an imperfect people. The righteous one dying for an unrighteous people. The one who, who did no wrong dying on behalf of those who did all sorts of wrong. Ephesians 5.2 says, Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for, up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And it was a fragrant offering because his death represented atonement, the covering, the removal of sin, the one thing that God can't be in the presence of. Matthew 20, verse 28 says, the Son of Man came to, be, uh, came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many, to give his life as atonement for many. To give his life as a covering 
for many. Christ's death was the fulfillment of all these rituals, and his death wasn't just temporary atonement. It wasn't like you had to go back for it the next year. Listen to Hebrews 9. It refers back to Leviticus, but listen to Hebrews 9, talking about Christ. Again, pointing us to Christ as the high priest. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then though, he, then though the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So there we see this beautiful exaltation of Christ and his death and how that is far superior than what we read of here in Leviticus. Christ has secured an eternal redemption for those who repent and believe the good news. The blood of Christ purifies and removes sin Jesus was without blemish in his life, was completely consumed. His blood was poured out just like the animal sacrifice, but his body, his, his death, his life was completely consumed. We're told in Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter 2 that the Lord laid on him the iniquity, uh, the sin of us all, that he bore the weight of that sin upon the cross. And so for those who trust in Jesus, confess him as Lord, our sin and and unrighteousness are transferred to him on the cross. And in exchange, we are covered in his purity and his righteousness by his grace. And we enter into this covenant relationship with a forever faithful God. Reading of the burnt offering in Leviticus leads us to, to be grateful for God's mercy. Does it not? That, that he allows a substitute to take our place. And that substitute would bear the wrath and judgment of God. So with our words and our attitudes, we reflect this, this gratitude for our salvation, this gratefulness for His mercy, this, this humility before our God and His great love for us. Psalm 51, 16 and 17 say this, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. So this is David's prayer, uh, two verses out of David's prayer of Psalm 51 when his sin has been exposed. His, the, the adultery, the murder, the lying, the deceit, all of that has been lovingly exposed by God's grace. This is his response. And I love that he acknowledges that a burnt offering is not what God wants. What God desires, what he wants is a heart that is broken and humble before him. So he's not looking for you to go make a burnt offering this afternoon to make up for what you've done. He's looking for you to trust in Jesus, who has already made that offering, who has removed the guilt and the sin and the shame. He's looking for you to, to humble your heart before Him, to trust in that sacrifice, and not a sacrifice that you're coming up with on your own, but one that's already been brought for you. The next offering talked about in chapter 2 is a grain offering. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all its frankincense. And the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for, Aaron's, or for, for Aaron and his sons, its most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. So the grain offering was, was always offered after the burnt offering. If they were uh, offered on the same day, the grain one always followed. And the worshiper brought fine flour or cakes without yeast, so a pancake, if you will, roasted grain to the priests. A portion was burnt up, and then the priests enjoyed the rest. So it was an opportunity to uh, provide for the priests as well as make this offering to God. And no honey or leaven could be added here. So leaven throughout Scripture is associated with wickedness and sin. And in baking, uh, the honey would speed up the leavening process. So again, the honey had to be rejected, just like the yeast. We see that God cares that the offerings, again, be made with purity. Not just with animals without blemish, but now grain without these additives that symbolize sin. 
All of this, again, points to Christ being without sin, without blemish. Oil and frankincense, frankincense specifically was costly, but they were both added because their association was with celebration and gladness. Because these offerings were not just about mourning and death, but these deaths are symbolism of life, of celebration and gladness, that life was in exchange for death. Salt would also be a part, and salt would refer to the covenant faithfulness of God, the preservative faithfulness of God, that He isn't going away, that He's not forsaking, that 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 sacrifice, that atonement was enough. So this offering was given to God in thankfulness. It was, God, you've not forgotten me. You've remembered me. They were acknowledging their need for the Lord's favor and grace, thanking him for not only remembering them, but providing for them, supplying their needs. Flour, although not in abundance, was in greater availability than than meat. And so you see kind of a a trust in the daily needs. Oh, Lord, you're, you're not only providing salvation, but you're meeting our daily needs. I'm depending on you for my daily needs. I'm trusting in you, even in this offering, even in giving up something I need daily. I'm trusting in you to provide. Again, this offering points us to Jesus. Jesus said, John 12, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus was that grain of wheat that died. But through his death, it led to life and salvation for all who would believe because he didn't remain dead. He didn't remain in the ground. He came back to life on the third day. So this grain offering reminds us not only of Jesus' death, but the attitude that we are to have of thanksgiving and thankfulness. It's the idea of Jesus teaching us to pray, give us today our daily bread. Lord, I'm trusting in you for my needs, not only for my salvation. We're confessing our trust our thanksgiving for god that all we have is his and he's given it to us by his grace and so we hold everything in an open hand our time our spiritual gifts our money our relationships our ministries our work our school our future we hold all of that in an open hand and say lord you're sovereign over all of that you're lord over all of that I'm not taking some part of it and throwing it in my back pocket and assuming control of that, but it's all yours. I'm depending upon you. I'm trusting in you. The final offering that we'll talk about is the peace offering. Some call it the fellowship offering. Leviticus 3, the first five verses say this. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar and from the sacrifice of the peace offering as a food offering to the Lord. He shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the food, which is on the wood, on the fire. It's a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So this offering acted like a meal. It's the only sacrifice that people could eat. So then, after this offering would take place, it wouldn't all be burnt up. But the priests, the worshipers, as well as the guests around would enjoy this meal together. This feast, this peace offering symbolized not only the fellowship and peace with God, but the fellowship and peace that people shared with one another. The offering was given as a response to the peace that they enjoyed with God. It recognized their covenant relationship with the Lord and with one another. That reconciliation has taken place. That once where sin separated, blood unites. That once where we were rejecting the Lord, we've humbled our hearts, received Him, and now we enjoy His presence, His relationship forever. We have fellowship with God now. And the fat was considered the best part of the animal. The ESV study Bible refers to the fat as the filet mignon, the very best of the animal, the the most succulent, savory part of the animal. And so the very best went to the Lord in sacrifice. And by giving it to the Lord, the, the Israelites were acknowledging that their king was worthy of worship. He was worthy of the very best. And it would seem that all these offerings are very robotic, right? 
But this offering, the peace offering, would be used as this expression of the worshiper out of the overflow of the heart as if to say, wow, God, you've been so good to me. Let me give this offering to you. Let me enjoy this meal alongside others who love you and are in a covenant relationship with you. Throughout the Bible, we see, and to this day, we see that meals represented fellowship. We see it in Acts 2, the early church, they ate together. If you eat at our home, if we went out to eat together for lunch today and sat around a table, it would symbolize and signify that we've got a friendship, a a fellowship, a relationship with one another. If we look at the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, we see that when the prodigal son returned, the father said this in verse 23, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Bring the best calf. My son who was lost has now been found. And the people rejoiced over a meal. And so in the New Testament, Jesus calls believers to remember his death through the bread and the wine, the Lord's Supper. Because in communion, we proclaim the Lord's death. We declare that it's through his sacrifice that we are saved, healed, forgiven, set free. That through Christ, we are not only brought near to the Lord, but that in Christ, we are made family with one another. We have brothers and sisters in the family of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So in Christ, we are one body. And in a similar way, the peace offering, communion in the same way, is this overflow of worship. God, thank you for your sacrifice. We remember you. We reflect you. We, we reflect on that. We do not neglect that. Communion leads us to thankfulness. We don't take it for granted that we're at peace with God, but that reality leads to our joy. Even when our sin gets exposed, and it should, right? There should be moments where where the Lord's Holy Spirit exposes something in your heart and something in your life that needs correction. It needs um, rebuke. And so even when our sin gets exposed, we remember that we are held in the family of God not by our, our obedience, but by the grace of God. That grace invites us then to change our mind about how we're approaching this. Change our mind about how God views that and God's blessing in that. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Colossians 1.20 And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Through Jesus in his death, we've been brought near. We have peace with God. Before Jesus, our relationship with God was marked by hostility, separation. Our sin led to that. But now, through the blood of Christ, through the blood of the cross, we have peace with God. All these offerings were a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And then we fast forward to the New Testament. And again, we're told in Ephesians 5, 2, that when the Lord sacrificed himself, it was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then we look at 2 Corinthians 2, that for those who trust in and follow Jesus, we are now the aroma of Christ. Not only for those who believe and follow him, but those who do not yet. Verses 14 and 15 in 2 Corinthians 2 says this, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are both being saved and among those who are perishing. So as we close in singing and giving our offerings, may we be reminded this week that our lives, not just this little slice of your week, not 10 to 11, but our entire lives are to be worship to the Lord. That by the mercies of God, may we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. May we worship the Lord well this week in all that we do. Whatever you're called to do, may we worship the Lord well this week. Being continually reminded that it's by His grace, not only are we saved, but by His grace that we are transformed and renewed. Father God, we are so grateful for Your sacrifice, for Your fragrant offering. And this week, Lord, we want to be that fragrant offering to the people around us to both brothers and sisters in the family of God, as well as those that we're trying to reach and those we're praying for that would come to faith in you. Father, I pray that uh, you would, by your supernatural, by your Holy Spirit, by your grace, that you would enable us to be a, 
the aroma of you. That we would live and speak the good news. God, you would first change our hearts that that inward transformation would lead to an outward life that looks differently, that represents you to the world. As we give our financial offerings this morning, I pray that you would uh, test our motivations, that we would give cheerfully, not begrudgingly. And God, I pray that as we give, both through our song, through uh, our, our offerings, and as we leave this place, that you would help us to worship you well this week. Take what is given here. Use it to expand your kingdom. Use it for the body of Christ. Use it for your mission in this world and in this community. We love you. We thank you. We are grateful that you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up and sing.
to you, Lord, completely to you, as we think about these atoning sacrifices, Lord, the aromas, um, the peace, um, just everything about them, Lord, we just, um, we understand that it's a commitment for us as well, uh, not just for what you have done for our lives, Lord, but what we do in the sense that we just give you the glory, that we offer these, offer our bodies as living sacrifices to you, Lord. God, as we think about going from this place, Lord, just ask that you be with us, Lord, that you would be our rock this morning and for the rest of this week. Amen. Amen. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest spring. But holy trust in Jesus' name. Sing that again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame.
Go in peace. Have a great week. We'll see you guys back next week.